You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus-year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. The 2016 Black Hat Conference is underway in Las Vegas this week, and in this special report from the show floor, we'll hear from industry leaders about industry trends and from venture capital funders about what they need to see before saying yes and why it's harder to get funding than it used to be. Stay with us. I'm Dave Bittner. We begin this Black Hat special edition with a look at trends and hear from some industry leaders and experts about what they're seeing and where they think cybersecurity is headed. Vitaly Kremez works in cybercrime intelligence for Flashpoint, a company that monitors the deep and dark webs. So one of the most emerging trends was the recent uh, DNC, Democratic National Committee, hack was, that was allegedly perpetrated by Russian government. Uh, in light of that attack, we saw some certain you know, like, uh, response from Russians. Uh, they, were, they opened up a new uh, story about uh, hacks from the FSB. And we've seen a new trends of, for instance, government uh, trying to uh, use them disinformation tactics or attacks to uh, shift uh, the blames or responsibilities for attacks to hacktivists like Guccifer, the creation of identities as a way for them to obfuscate their intelligence operations. And how we would respond to that would be a very interesting response from the government sector and how the private industry uh, with the government will, will combat that. Number two, I would say healthcare, healthcare institutions being compromised and the ransomware attacks on healthcare institutions. Uh, those attacks bring actually uh, physical damage and uh, to, can bring physical damage to specific devices running uh, in emergency rooms. So they can actually uh, paralyze the hospital operations connected to the ICU units. So they have like really, really physical uh, threat uh, to uh, patients. And another trend, uh, the attacks against SWIFT, the, the bank attacks tar- targeting the specific uh, uh, payment system as opposed to credit card data. So once the Russian actors that we think, like Eastern European actors, uh, were connected to uh, allegedly the SWIFT attack uh, in U- the Ukraine, uh, responsible for more than $10 million worth of loss, that type of attack was damaging to the whole country infrastructure that could lead to uh, destabilization of the economy and people losing jobs and uh, more even like real life frustration, especially in light of the Crimea annexation and the difficult situation between Russia and Ukraine, politically speaking. And it also one one last trend I want to highlight in the cybersecurity perspective: the uh, emergence of ISIS as being as being uh, 
uh, as, as the users of encryption methods and technology. As as we know, uh, they are learning, and they're not too capable at this moment. But they are learning, and they if they would apply uh, the same kind of methods of encryptions and infosec world uses now, and they and they would apply the same motivation as uh, physical threat and to uh, human lives and in the name of jihad, that would be damaging. And if they would trans transmit that to the cyberspace as they're doing now with the United Cyber Caliphate, which was alleged to be a faction of ISIS, that would be a concern to the old infosec and how we'd respond to that. Lance Cottrell is chief scientist at Intrepid, developers of secure virtual browser technology. You know, it, it seems like a lot of, a lot of the problems are taking place in the basic blocking and tackling. Um, you know, when we look at companies and you know they're bringing us in to, to solve this this problem with the browser, but they're also having huge trouble just keeping track of what what other systems. You know, where's the perimeter and having that dissolve on them. You know, and that's one of the things they like about having the software actually on the endpoint is the endpoint isn't staying inside their perimeter, right? If you've got some sort of a, a, a gateway device that works until the laptop goes to Starbucks, at which point suddenly that stops working. Well, how do you maintain that, that protection? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking a lot about that uh, you know, extension of the perimeter, extension of responsibility. I think governments and corporations need to start thinking about how can they protect uh, their employees even when they're using their own devices at home. And it can't be in a monitoring heavy way because no one's going to put up with that. But Anything they can do to make the person safer when they're using their own computer at home and accessing corporate email, which they do, is going to be critical. And, and that email is you know, the, the, the huge failure. If I can get your endpoint and get in and you know, get access to your email client, I get huge amounts of data and everything I need to launch the perfect spear phishing attack against everyone else in the company. Right? I can impersonate you perfectly. We're seeing a unique signature on almost every endpoint target. You know, these, these virus and malware are morphing continuously. So we, and, and many others in, in other parts of, of uh, the security space, are now starting to look at how do you build the tool so that it automatically is secure. It, even if it gets infected, it cleans up. You don't necessarily need to be trying to remediate. Um, you know, you're you're re-imaging your servers automatically every couple of minutes because by the time you send a guy out and chase it down, it's hugely labor-intensive and they've had a chance to move on. And so I think that's going to be, over the next couple of years, one of the big trends is more of a sort of self-healing, proactive kind of security rather than trying to clean up after you detect things. Leon Ward is Senior Director of Product Management at Threat Quotient, developers of threat intelligence platforms. It's so hard to predict the future, right? It, it's... It, it feels like it's that time of year, it's black hat or it's the, the, the end of the year and everyone's looking for predictions, what's going to happen next year. But ultimately, the only predictions you can, you can make is it's going to be more of the same. The things that are being successful now will continue to be successful until they change. And, and, and the only reason an approach or methodology ever changes is because the defenders become um, more sophisticated at preventing that method from, from being successful. So what is the new method, the next method? Well, we don't know what it is until the attacker is actually going to be forced to change their methods um, because their current methods aren't, aren't being successful. Brian Glancy is Chief Technology Officer at Optio Labs, developers of mobile security architectures. People are now starting to understand a lot more about 
phones and their powers and kind of the the problems, everything from chipset fundamental problems to uh, you know encryption issues like came up with Apple uh, you know last year. They are starting to understand the implications of uh, you know the packages and things that are going into a device and how um, you know it, it's a complex problem and there is no one simple solution usually. So we're starting to see um, you know more people choose to do you know the migrate back from potentially BYOD. Think about uh, for things that are actually regulated or have uh, audit, audit fines or compliance fines. Uh, think about uh, corporate-owned devices and issuing their own devices for those things. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing a rise of things like the Siren phone, uh, very high-end secure phones with, you know, high level of. Uh, evaluation and compliance to new international standards. Uh, international standards on this side have actually been com changing quite a bit too. There's now a, uh, a new international standard for security that validates uh, the security of phones, different phones, to a, a known given standard. One of the things that's fundamentally changing is the diversity, right? It used to be years ago there were three or four or five on the outside phone manufacturers that were the big manufacturers of phones, right? We've seen that cycle several, several times. Those older members of us have seen Palm come in and go out and you know other devices come and go right throughout the years. But now that turning turnout is becoming even worse because there it used to be that the you know Samsung was the the major provider and Apple was the major provider, but now we're even seeing players like Huawei crack the top five for most devices uh, made. And when you look at uh, uh, you know just the number of sheer providers that are building phones now, mainline phones, it, it used to be a dozen. Now it's a thousand. Right, so this is fundamentally changing the market and, and kind of how the number of devices, the types of things that you see on the market, and also that fundamental kind of uh, uh, insecurity problem becomes bigger. I think that we're going to continue to see many, many more vulnerabilities. There's a lot of companies out there that are making uh, devices uh, th that are going to have our personal information, are going to have our banking information, are going to have our email, uh, and you know, they ha don't have the expertise usually to do the security implementation, and it's not usually something that they can just get off the, the shelf. So I think we're going to see many more vulnerabilities coming in the next year, two years, uh, particularly out of the same library used again over and over again in I an IoT device and a cell phone and all over the place just because there's not that expertise usually in the marketplace. So I think we're going to see a lot more. Hamilton Turner is the Senior Director of Research and Engineering at Optio Labs. We used to always laugh about the fear and uncertainty in the media, but in the context of mobile phones, it's not, it's not as fake as, you would like to, as we would like to believe. There is a really long tail of vulnerabilities, and most devices are vulnerable. You know, the device you have in your pocket probably has at least four or five CVEs that are unpatched on it, and it, it's an interesting world. It, it really used to be that you know, you get all this, this crazy uh, headlines about things are scary, your phone will blow up any minute, but maybe the vulnerability uh, uh, vector didn't really keep up with the, the marketing vector. All of a sudden, they really are starting to keep up. So we're going to keep seeing demand for these devices to rise, um, and so we're going to get more and more and more of them. 
and we're going to keep seeing the security vulnerabilities go up more and more. Vikram Fatak is CEO of NSS Labs, an IT security product testing lab. Well, so obviously you've heard about the ransomware, right? Mm -hmm. That's uh, we started seeing that about a year ago in uh, our, our systems, where uh, the attacks started shifting from the type of malware being, um, you know, looking for. Um, Credentials, which you're still looking for, like you know, login, password stuff, or credit card data, um, to ransomware, cryptolotica, and things like that. Um, where I think we're going to see a lot more of that, and the reason is this: so if if you put yourself in the bad guy's shoes, and I'll get into the detection in a minute, um, if you compromise 100,000 systems five years ago, you probably had 90,000 new credit card data, 90,000 new you know, personal identif identifiable information, so your social security information and so on. A lot of new stuff. Now in 2016, they pretty much have everybody's data, okay? So you get 100,000 people, maybe you have, what, 5,000 new? So your return on your investment is much, much lower, okay? Um, and so they need to find different ways to monetize their capabilities. So the first way was to sell your data to other people who are going to, you know, use your credit card. Okay, that sort of that line of business is now peaking out. There's diminishing returns. So, what are you going to go after? So, you, ransomware is a natural thing. Um, the thing is about ransomware, though, is it's not going to be. You'll have some for you and me, mm -hmm. but the big things are going to be. You know, you've heard about the hospital network and so on that got hit. Um, those are the types of attacks that are going to be happening moving forward because that's where the money is. It's a it's a hard problem for somebody if you're a hospital administrator or an executive. What's your choice going to be? I mean, where, what are you going to do, right? In the short run, there's probably a lot of folks who are going to end up paying because, you know, it, it just the, the, the equation doesn't make sense. And you don't want it to get out that you were hit because there's reputational risk. There's all kinds of other issues, right? So that's a big one. Um, and I do think that, you know, Internet of Things is going to be tied to ransomware. Now, not, not my garage door opener, <laughs> right? Not my pool or anything like that, or my thermostat, okay, they could make me miserable by making it really hot, but they're not going to make any money off of it, right? But when you start talking about supply chain, so let's just say fast forward five years, everybody has their refrigerator that has Internet of Things that can tell when your milk is low. If they could mess with the setting that makes it look like the milk is, is empty for everybody at once, you could cause a huge surge in supply to go to the grocery stores. What happens then? Nobody wants the milk. You're going to have a lot of spoiled milk. Right. Similarly, you know, what happens if you say, you know, it's all full, you could cause shortages. Right. So then it becomes a question to the, the supply chain. How much is it worth to the supply chain? It's kind of like the old protection money We're talking about from gangsters. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be a shame if that window got broken. It'd be a shame if your supply chain got messed up. That's where Internet of Things really gets tricky. Right. So um, and that's not to mention, you know, water treatment facilities and other things that are more obvious, high profile SCADA type of environments. Alberto Yepes is co-founder and managing director at Trident Capital Cybersecurity, a venture capital firm. Everybody always wants to talk about feature functions. I have the better endpoint. I have the better trap that gives you the, the insider threat. The two biggest issues that we see in this industry is, number one, there's not enough qualified cybersecurity professionals to deal with the problem, okay? The threat is real. The, the, the criminals, they're, they're well-funded. They stay sponsored. They're sophisticated. They have access to a lot of things. So in our industry that is trying to safeguard information for business for individuals and governments, they're not even not qualified professionals. The second trend that is very important and is, and is very latent even in this, this conference is there's so many 
solutions that don't work with each other. Everybody is the best endpoint. I'm the best um, in intrusion detection. I'm the best vulnerability assessment. So the customer ends up having to pay for integrating all that. The cost of integration is very high. And what happens is the large companies can afford it. The middle market and the smaller businesses, healthcare or you know mid-market companies, cannot afford to do this. So big picture, big issues is not enough professionals to solve the problem. Their second is the cost of integration. So what makes a really good company is in a company that creates an integrated solution, a unified solution that brings a number of tools together that can be easily deployed, easily consumed, easily you know gain value in a matter of minutes, not days, not months, not years to get the, the value out of that. Bob Ackerman is founder and managing director of Allegis Capital, a seed and early stage venture capital firm. Well, I think you have to be pragmatically. You have to realize that that cyber threats are 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 here. They're a clear and present danger. Uh, there's no way to run. There's no place to hide. Uh, so I think companies have to embrace the challenge of how do they secure uh, their business operations, whatever that means. Uh, there's a, there's a couple things that that come to mind for me. You know, number one, uh, the growing importance of encryption. Uh, there's been a lot of public discussion about encryption, and is encryption a, a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I will say emphatically it is one of the most effective tools available to industry uh, to reduce the value of data to an adversary who would secure that data. And the, the thought that we should not have encryption or we should have limitations on encryption when, in fact, it's the most effective tool we have for, for protecting the target of many breaches, the data, uh, is, uh, is totally absurd. Uh, on the surface. Um, so once you get past how do you secure the data and the encryption, uh, I think you, you need to look at the uh, how do you gain situational awareness uh, of your infrastructure, and that may be your enterprise, it may be your enterprise and your supply chain. Uh, Target clearly demonstrated uh, the vulnerability of a large enterprise with state-of-the-art investment in cybersecurity when one of its small supply chain partners was compromised in the HVAC supplier. So I think one of the things we see a lot of talk about today are organizations grappling with how do they come to understand their situational awareness, their exposure, and their risk. So I think that's an area where we're going to see uh, a lot of discussion and a lot of activity in cybersecurity, particularly as cybersecurity moves up to become a board-level conversation, which post-target it clearly has become. Uh, number three, I guess, would be uh, how do you make the necessary investments in cyber defense technologies, whether that's situational awareness or active defense, um, with, uh, with limited budgets and limited technical resource? So, uh, you know, there's a tremendous amount of thinking that's going into, um, you know, number one, how do small and medium-sized businesses uh, defend themselves? I think we're going to see a lot of activity uh, around uh, security as a managed service for small and medium-sized businesses. And in enterprises where they may have the technical expertise and they have the financial resources, they don't have enough bandwidth. And so we're going to see a lot of discussion around uh, what people today, what the conference will be talking about around automation and orchestration, the fact that we need to increase the productivity of our threat intelligence engineers uh, to be able to respond to ever-increasing levels of threat intelligence accelerated velocity of attacks and breadth of attacks. And automation is going to have to play a critical role in how do we respond to those attacks. So what about funding? We asked our two venture capital executives what they look for when investing in cybersecurity companies. Here's Trident Capital's Alberto Yepes. So having been an entrepreneur and on the other side before I came into venture capital, I always say there's a 
very defined criteria of getting funded. There's five fundamental items that we look at. Number one, we look at the market. Number two, we look at the technology. Number three, we look at the go-to-market strategy. Number four, we look at the team. And number five, we look at the investor syndicate. So market has to be a growing market. It has to be a large market that is growing. For instance, Semantic is in a large market, but it's not growing, it's shrinking. Therefore, we go after a large market, which may be companies doing mobile security that is expanding, is large in, in doing. So that's the difference. So we look for markets that are large in the opportunity and then growing. Secondly, when he talks, we talk about the offering, that the, how hard is to replicate what you do. So intellectual property at the end of the day is very key and the solutions have to be differentiated. Differentiation is not just comes in how you, you create the solution, how you deploy the solution, what problem you're trying to solve, patents that you can defend, and oftentimes smaller companies are targets of established companies that they sue them and sometimes takes them out of the market just because anybody can sue anybody in the U.S., but, but therefore it has to be highly differentiated in a very high bar of entry. Number three, go-to-market is perhaps the most critical component of being being uh, a successful company because how do how are you going to deploy the solution? Are you going to do it by yourself, by adding salespeople and creating the customers by themselves? Or do you create an ecosystem of complementary partners that will help you get to a global market? Because the opportunity is not the U.S. market, it's a global market. And so you look for relationships like co-marketing, co-selling, reselling, OEMing, white label, where you create and create partners that instead of you putting a lot of money in your sales or marketing, what you do create a strategic relationships that are going to let you grow. Therefore, but that's the strategy, not only how you price it, how you sell it, but what is the ecosystem you're crying for success. The fourth item is the team. The team, sometimes we expect entrepreneurs not necessarily to know everything, and sometimes they're first-time CEOs or first-time entrepreneurs. What we looked is the DNA, where they started, the problem set. We were talking earlier in one of the companies we invested. When you understand a problem set differentiated, then the way you solve the problem, like when you give an architect, I'm trying to build something, and they build something amazing. That's what we look for is that DNA of the entrepreneur. They're trying to have complementary skill to create something of value that can be easily consumed in the market. So it's, it's very important to get the team, not only the CEO, the CTO, the VPO market and VPO. So it's, it's, a, it's a whole team. But as a good investor, once we invest, we help influence the go-to-market in the team. And the co-investors are important just from, even if they are angel investors or even they are seed investors, they are also people that have domain expertise in the market that validate that and help you make the right decision. So we always determine that as the only companies we invest are the companies that have a large market opportunity with a differentiated solution, with a good go-to-market strategy, with the right team and the right ecosystem. So we always look at those five items. If you cannot align the five, we don't invest. Here's Allegis Capital's Bob Ackerman. We're looking for new paradigms of thinking in terms of how to either secure uh, critical infrastructure or defend against attacks. Uh, I think one of the challenges that we face is there's a lot of very interesting, innovative point solutions, uh, particularly in the cybersecurity industry, that while they are important and while they add value, they're not fundable. They're not fundable as a standalone company. They they fall into the category of being a feature and maybe being a product, but in fact not providing the foundation to build a company. So we're looking for 
uh, visions of, of, of solution that have long-term scalability, that have the ability to evolve as cyber threats evolve. Uh, those types of ideas turn out to be very, very difficult to find. But, but that's, if you're looking for venture capital, you know, venture capital needs those size of opportunities to be able to generate the returns that we expect to balance off against the risk. The other thing, quite frankly, we look for are proven teams. Uh, and what I mean by that is cybersecurity is an area where uh, the market moves so quick and it's so complex that y you can't begin learning about cybersecurity the day you take in capital. You already have to understand the domain. You understand the dynamics in the marketplace, you know, the threat vectors in the marketplace. So our own investment thesis is heavily focused on former operating executives, you know, proven operators, whether they come out of the intelligence community, whether they come out of industry, who have stood on the wall and have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe successfully with the bad guys for a number of years. And that's really the starting point that we have when we find a platform that we think is compelling. There's been much talk lately that VC funding for cybersecurity is harder to come by. Bob Ackerman explains. The broader market for venture capital today has cooled materially over the last nine months. It's not just cybersecurity, but cybersecurity uh, is not excluded from that cooling phenomena either. Uh, the, translating that to an entrepreneur, it means it's going to be harder to raise capital. You're going to need more validation or proof points to raise that capital, and it will take longer to raise that capital. And frankly, companies that don't have a clear point of differentiation uh, you know, with that long-term vision to be able to build value over an extended period of time are going to struggle. So, you know, what I would, you know, advise entrepreneurs uh, to do is understand how valuable capital is today, uh, how long it's going to take to raise additional capital, that they're really going to have to prove the value proposition in the marketplace uh, in order to attract outside capital. And, you know, if you're, a, uh, if you're an early stage a cybersecurity company, you know, maybe a year ago if you had three customers that would validate uh, the use of your technology, today you better have 10. Uh, and it's just a, a reflection of sort of the broader concerns in the marketplace about where the investment community is in the overall cycle. And with that concern, people have a natural bias towards being more risk-averse, uh, which means the hurdles that you need to get over in order to secure capital have gone up materially. The threat is real, uh, it's here to stay. As a cybersecurity professional, it's a career that if you have a niece, a son, or somebody recommending to go here, it's not just the engineer, it's the analyst, it's the operator, and more importantly, the most successful chief information security officer, chief information risk officer, are the ones that can really translate very complex technology problems into business issues. Borough directors are starving for people that understand the complexities and how to defend, how to invest into this area and, and, and the amount of jobs that will exist at a high premium in terms of, you know, I would say because of the scarcity of resources, the, the salaries in cybersecurity are going up to the roof. So, you know, either take it upon yourself, be more broad, Try to understand business and drive your decisions from the business perspective. Don't get enamored with that technology. Make sure that you know you could actually. This is an industry that you can grow in many areas. At the end of the day, it's human factors, and make sure that at the end, of what you build, or what you do, is a human being that's trying to protect that information, trying to keep their privacy, trying to keep their their company's information or their government's secrets uh, safe. That's Alberto Yepes from Trident Capital Cybersecurity. 
Our thanks to all of our experts for taking time from their busy schedules at Black Hat to talk with the CyberWire, to our sponsors for making this show possible, and to you for listening. If you enjoy our show, we hope you'll help spread the word and leave a review or rating on iTunes. It's the easiest way you can help us grow our audience. To subscribe to our daily podcast or news brief, visit thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire is produced by Pratt Street Media. Our editor is John Petrick. Social media editor is Jennifer Iben. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Senior editor and junior interviewer is Peter Kilpie. And I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Imagine a world where you're always one step ahead of cyber threats, where your defenses are impenetrable because you see what others don't. Welcome to Team Cymru's Threat Intelligence Solutions. With real-time access to the world's largest threat intelligence data ocean, they enable you to turn the tables on attackers. Transform your security from reactive to proactive through accelerated threat hunting and incident response, made possible through automation. Empower your team with visibility and insights to start defending your organization like never before. Team Cymru. Be the hunter, not the hunted. Learn more at team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. That's team-cymru.com slash cyberwire.